Hello there, I'm Gustavo Ribeiro, the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. Once again, our podcast is being recorded from my office space at home, so we apologize for the less-than-ideal audio quality. But the entire building where our studios are located, next to Avenida Paulista, is in full lockdown. That also explains why we delayed the publishing of this episode. Two weeks ago, we spoke with economist Monica Deboe about what the government should do in order to avoid a recession in Brazil. But so much has changed in these two weeks. And I know that because the day we published that episode, March 11th, was my birthday, which also happened to be the second last day I left my building. In these past two weeks, cases of COVID-19 have exploded in Brazil, states have put themselves in quarantine, and recession, which seemed like a possibility, now is a fait accompli. The question is, how bad will things get? That's what we try to answer this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and you're listening to Explaining Brazil. Before we get into this week's show, I want to do a little recap on the evolution of the COVID-19 outbreak in Brazil. In two weeks, we went from having 52 to having nearly 3,000 confirmed cases and almost 100 deaths. But some studies indicate that the official number might account for only 11% of the real number of cases. In some favelas dominated by drug trafficking gangs, criminals have installed a curfew and ordered social distancing. States have shut down all non-essential commerce. But President Jair Bolsonaro wants the economy to get back to normal. Nossa vida tem que continuar. Os empregos devem ser mantidos. O sustento das famílias deve ser preservado. He says that allowing for a recession is going to create grave social problems far worse than the outbreak itself. Felipe Campanti is a professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Professor, thanks for joining us on Skype. I want to ask you, what do you make of President Jair Bolsonaro's approach to the coronavirus? I mean, he does have a point when he links recessions to the increase of mortality in Brazil. But is his approach a reasonable one, considering that most experts say social isolation is the only way to contain massive infections? It's hard for me to say kind of from an epidemiological perspective, of course, uh, but it, I mean, it definitely looks like, uh, you know, things are going to get pretty bad. Uh, and I think the economic repercussions of that are are quite striking because uh, this is not uh, your, your standard, uh, you know, economic shock or economic crisis where you might want to think about how we would want to avoid recession. I think now, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, like we need a recession in order to fight the virus, right? So like we, we need economic activity to go down because we need people 
to engage in social distancing, right? So I guess the, the, the right question to ask is what can we do to make sure that people can go through this moment without losing their livelihoods and, and without uh, uh, suffering too much uh, uh, damage from an economic perspective. But I think it's it's a very unusual situation because uh, we don't want economic, and, and it's, it's not even that, uh, that we don't want, but we cannot have a normal economic uh, 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 scenario taking place, right? So it's not a situation where we, where we can choose between having social distancing and having normal economic activity because you know the shock is not the social distancing the shock is the virus right as long as the virus is out there people are going to refrain from from you know going to the restaurants and going to uh, you know through their normal through their normal lives because they're going to be afraid of the virus and uh, as a result what we really need is to do as much as we can to make sure that the 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 virus is under control and that we can help people through this process. Many countries are passing stimulus programs to help people weather the crisis. In Brazil, government measures have come bit by bit and dwarf next to what other countries do. The government proposed to give R$ to informal workers per month for three months, then increased it for R$ That's roughly $120 per month. And the economy ministry says that's because Brazil does not have the same economic firepower of other countries and that the country can't afford to swing and miss. Is that a fair assessment? We're going through a very, very hard situation, you know, akin to a war, uh, you know, obviously, like with all the, the, the you know, the appropriate uh, uh, caveats on the, on the comparison. But what we need is to borrow resources from the future, right? So our future selves, you know, us, uh, you know, years from today uh, are not going to are not going to be going through a pandemic. So we need to borrow from our future selves to help smooth uh, and soften the blow that we are that we are suffering right now, right? So we need to be spending uh, heavily right now to make sure that uh, uh, you know we have appropriate resources to deal with the public health situation and to provide for the people whose livelihoods are threatened. Again, not because people are making up, uh, uh, constraints on 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 uh, uh, you know social interactions, but because there's a virus out there. You know, if you're in a situation, let's say like Canada, so Canada just announced this policy where they're basically going to be providing income, you know, two thousand dollars a month for anyone who has lost a job or needs to you know take care of a relative or you know is sick. So so that's the right policy, right? But doing that in Canada, obviously is uh, a bit easier than doing that in Brazil. There's been very little uh, leadership uh, coming from the federal government. Uh, you know, on much of the contrary, it seems that, you know, like the president in particular has been sort of undermining uh, uh, a lot of the, the efforts that are, that are necessary. And I think that translates into a policy response that, ha that has been 
I think, uncoordinated and, and very timid, and I think poorly poorly designed uh, 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 in particular. So the measures that have been uh, announced uh, uh, have also, you know, uh, not been, uh, uh, you know, even setting aside the size, uh, but just like the, the proper targeting and in particular kind of really trying to reach the people who are most vulnerable and who need most help, which is, you know, the, 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 uh, the people uh, in the informal sector and the, uh, the poorest, uh, I think it's been very poorly calibrated uh, in that sense as well. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, I mean, it, it is true that, uh, uh, you know, Brazil has, you know, less uh, resources available than, than than the U.S. or Canada or the U.K. or, or, or what have you. But I think, you know, we really need to make a, a push commensurate with the size of the problem and uh, with the size of our economy, right? So, you know, I think we really need to, to, you know, to spend a lot of resources in trying to fight this. Because like I said, it's a matter of like borrowing resources from the future to fight an emergency. It's, it's, it's like a war, right? You, you can't just say like, well, uh, we can't spend a lot uh, on this or, or, you know, this is, uh, we need to, to keep, uh, you know, business as usual or, or, you know, it's just an emergency situation and you need to act accordingly. I think it's, 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 it's very important. And you really don't see that, especially coming from the federal government. I think the, uh, Congress has been, I think, more, more attuned, uh, governors and, 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 uh, local governments, I think have been more, uh, responsive. But unfortunately, that's something that that needs, uh, you know, by the very nature of the situation, it needs coordination from the top. And and unfortunately, this has been sorely lacking. I think, uh, uh, you know, to a large extent, because uh, we have uh, leaders and the president in particular who who really, you know, doesn't seem to be attuned to the to the to the nature of the situation. And I think that's 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 a tragedy. The president defends no restrictions on movement and commerce, but then 25 of 27 governors have said they would just ignore him and go ahead quarantining their states and leaving stores closed. How does this political deadlock impact the effectiveness of our response to COVID-19? Because in our political system, there's only so much a president can do without the support of local administrations and vice versa. Yeah, no, I think it really, you know, this, uh, um, frankly, uh, uh, insane uh, uh, approach uh, from the president hugely undermines uh, the response because, listen, you know, the virus doesn't care about state borders, right? Uh, 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 this is something that needs uh, a centralized approach, right? The, the, the firepower of the federal government in terms of mobilizing resources is much greater than than uh, the the states in isolation. So that that's simply uh, uh, you know something that really requires this type of coordination uh, for it to be effective. And and the absence of that coordination is is hugely damaging. Right now, you know the fact that uh, 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 the president is isolated in uh, uh, in terms of of his response 
it's basically coming from the reality that, again, the problem is not the measures that are being taken to try and contain the virus. The problem is the virus, right? As long as the virus is out there, the economy will not be operating as normal because people will not be uh, going about their business as normal, right? And if the virus, uh, 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 if the situation worsens, which is bound to happen, right? I mean, you know, the evidence is overwhelming in that regard. You know, if people, uh, 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 even going back to the 1918 uh, 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 flu uh, pandemic, right? There's this evidence that, you know, as social distancing measures were uh, withdrawn because people felt like the situation was improving, then the, 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 the virus came back. So if the situation gets worse, then the economic situation is going to get worse because people are going to be more scared. People are going to be more concerned and are going to be, you know, even less likely to, you know, go about their businesses. Like, just think about it, frankly, like, you know, if would you want to go to a restaurant right now, knowing that there's just this virus out there, right? And even if you are, you should be aware that like lots of other people wouldn't because they would be scared of the virus and so on and so forth. So it's, it's just the reality of uh, uh, the pandemics, that that is the real problem, right? So we can't pretend that we can go about uh, 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 you know business as usual because it's just not possible. The president accuses governors of acting with ulterior motives in the next presidential elections. And to his point, some governors and I'd singled out São Paulo's João Doria or Rio's Wilson Witzel here. They do seem to have uh, some ulterior motives in their actions, especially Doria seemed to taunt Bolsonaro at every turn. For instance, the Sao Paulo governor has disclosed his negative COVID-19 test results and then urged Bolsonaro to do the same. Politicians are going to do politics, right? So that's that's to be expected. And, and you know, there's 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 just no other way. Uh, you know, that's that's what they're going to do. So I think, uh, uh, you know, speculating about ulterior motives or 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 uh, 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 thinking about the motivations uh, 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 is not the right way to think about this. Right. I think we need to think about like what people are doing. Right. And is what they uh, are doing something that helps solve the problem or is it not right i think that's the right question to ask and uh, uh you know i think the governors are being much more constructive in terms of what they are doing to control the pandemics than uh, uh, uh the president is and i think you know all of them have political uh, aspirations and all of them have political motives that's that's not the difference the difference is whether they are helping or they're not. And I think that's that's how we want to think about that. And and I think, uh, uh, you know, any major event is going to be a political, uh, 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 a political event, right? And is going to have political implications. And, you know, part of, you know, some research that I'm doing right now is, is exactly kind of looking at the impact of the Ebola uh, crisis, a much, much smaller crisis uh, in the context of the U.S., but the impact that it had in U.S. politics and how it was sort of exploited by politicians. So that's nothing new. That's nothing that, that uh, uh, um, you know, is unexpected or surprising. I think the real crux of the matter is 
what is the policy response and and that's how that's how we should judge uh, what the politicians are doing. My next question was precisely about that study on the influence of the Ebola scare in the U.S. 2014 midterm elections. What did your research tell you about that? Yeah, so that's a that's a very interesting episode uh, because uh, uh, you know the Ebola uh, crisis hit the U.S. Uh, as it were uh, back in 2014, really in the month before uh, the midterm elections of that year. So it was really uh, very much uh, uh, you know right as campaign season was at its was at its peak, and and. It, you know, it's it's uh, it's a very different context uh, from what we have now, in the sense that uh, the public health impact was much, much, much smaller, right? But it was a very important uh, source of anxiety and and fear at the time. And what we find is that uh, uh, first of all, uh, it it did have uh, an impact, in particular. It really led to uh, a worse uh, performance uh, um, from the Democrats in the election. So we find that places that displayed greater uh, concerns with Ebola, uh, 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 the Democrats did worse, and, and and there was a there was a there was a causal impact of the concerns on the Democratic electoral performance. Now, and the other thing is that the the situation was strategically exploited by politicians and in particular republican candidates uh, uh, uh really jumped uh, uh on it and and started talking a lot about ebola and, and not just talking about it but talking about it in conjunction with specific topics uh of strategic interest to them right so they were talking about ebola uh in conjunction with immigration and you know borders and and with Obama kind of trying to associate uh, 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 the crisis with uh, with with these topics and and the interesting thing is that some of that worked for them uh, from that political perspective and some of some of that didn't right so we find that there was no impact on uh, uh, Obama's approval ratings right so the 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 attempt to kind of try to undermine uh, uh, um, Obama's uh, 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 approval uh, or, or his standing with the public by tying him to Ebola doesn't seem to have worked, but it, it does seem to have worked uh, when it comes to immigration. So we do find evidence that people, uh, 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 you know, voters responded by uh, becoming more uh, uh, um, anti-immigration. And is it possible to anticipate in any way how this COVID-19 pandemic is going to affect elections in Brazil? Because, I mean, we are set to have municipal elections in October. I think it's too early to tell. Uh, uh, like I said, you know, in the case of Ebola, it was something that was happening literally like, you know, during the, the, the month before the election. So it was like, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a more immediate impact. And, and who knows what's going to happen between now and, and um, October. But I think there's a there's a, an even more basic concern, which is like, are we going to be in a position to actually, you know, have a normal election, uh, or are we going to be in a situation where we're still going to, uh, you know, have to have social distancing measures in place? And I think that's that's a, that's a very serious dilemma. I think this is a this is a real dilemma. And in the case of Brazil, I think uh, it's 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 made worse. Uh, uh, by the fact that we don't have, uh, uh, you know, vote by mail 
as we have in the U.S., for instance, right? So, I th you know, the U.S., we're going to have a presidential election this year, and that's a that's a big that's a big question. But here, at least, the the solution is already kind of in place, which is well, we should just kind of extend this uh, 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 you know alternative of of uh, vote by mail that already exists, and you know, let's you know the the obvious solution is to 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 try to make it. Uh, 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 you know, to ramp it up and, 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 you know, even make it like the default option, whether it's going to be implemented is a, is a separate question, especially given, you know, in the U.S. we don't have a national election. We have, you know, a number of state-run elections, right? But in the case of Brazil, where we, where all the voting is basically, uh, you know, have to, you have to show up and, and, and vote, this is clearly a problem from a, from a public health perspective. And it's, it's not clear at all that, uh, uh, come October, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a position to hold this type of massive conglomeration of people uh, um, safely. The president seems to be more and more isolated. Our Brazilian correspondent, Breno Grillo, reported on Tuesday that political leaders have begun negotiating how to proceed with an impeachment process against Bolsonaro. And this was corroborated by four independent sources. How do you see this crisis unfolding? On the one hand, I think uh, uh, there's a there's a lot of volatility uh, uh, because just this is such a such a huge uh, uh, event uh, that and evolves like so rapidly that it, that is that is hard to to predict. But I think in general, it it, it really has reduced uh, Bolsonaro's uh, uh, room for maneuver because you know. Through his own uh, uh, inapt response, I think it's become like quite clear that he not only is not someone who you would want to have in charge uh, in a situation like that, but he's actively like a problem, right? And 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 in in that sense, I think he is uh, 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 um, creating his own isolation, and in some sense, I, I think that. Uh, there is there is little appetite for for an impeachment process because I think people understand that there's like the trauma involved and and the risks that you know how he might react and so on, but it's almost like he's forcing uh, people's hands uh, as he makes himself uh, such a huge hindrance, right? Such a huge problem uh, uh, for dealing with uh, with the crisis. And I think as the perception that that is the case increases. Uh, I think Bolsonaro will end up being sidelined in one way or another, uh, either, you know, sort of formally through like an impeachment process or, you know, through some sort of, uh, you know, as we've noticed recently, like so governors have been meeting and, and, and discussing uh, uh, measures with Congress without Bolsonaro's even being present. So like, people just kind of bypassing and, and, you know, pretending that it doesn't exist. But if he... Uh, 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 you know, keeps reminding us that he exists, and that you know, by by, you know, compromising and 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 damaging the efforts towards fighting this emergency. I think he's, he he makes his situation uh, uh, more unsustainable, uh, um, more and more unsustainable. So I think you know, if if before this episode, I think you know the the you know there was a there was a non-negligible possibility that Bolsonaro could, could you know, try something, uh, you know, some, something like a self-coup or something like that, or kind of trying to like really kind of 
a, a frontal attack on, on democratic institutions. I think now he may even try that, but I think that the, the, his chances of succeeding are are going down at a very fast pace because you know I, I think the people who he would need to support such an adventure, you know, in the military and and uh, the business community and so on and so forth. I, I think you know there's been an increasing perception that he is he is a problem, and and in in that sense, I think the scenario is very volatile because as you know he becomes more isolated, perhaps kind of there is a greater incentive for him to try something uh, 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 more radical. I think his scope for actually succeeding with that, you know, on balance, I think has been going down because, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's becoming clearer and clearer that, uh, again, he's, he's, he's not part of the solution. He's is actually like a big problem. If you like this podcast, please rate us with five stars that will give us a push to reach more listeners. And take a look at our website. Every day we have new exclusive content, including a live COVID-19 blog our team is diligently filling with the most relevant updates about the outbreak. Also, subscribing to the Brazilian Report is the best way to help this show. Plans start at less than $4 which is less than a latte on Starbucks if you're in Sao Paulo. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. And that's it for this week. Stay safe, wash your hands, and listen to your podcast backlog while you're in self-isolation. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this was Explaining Brazil.